Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. We're in the end of Ephesians 5. We started at the bottom of the text and learned that the Christian marriage's purpose is to glorify Christ and His work in the church. We now repeat a portion of our last broadcast in order that we might begin to consider how it is that we practically express this glory in our marriages. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. I don't know if you've ever read the Song of Solomon. It's kind of a difficult book to read. It's kind of difficult to know who's speaking and what it's about. But if you go back and you study the earliest commentaries from the church in the first hundred years of the church, or even if you go back and find out what the Jewish rabbinics taught about this book, they thought it was an allegory. Even if it may be an expression of human love, they thought the greater meaning was an allegory of God's love either for the people of Israel or the church saw it as God's love for His church. That's what they saw it as. If you open it up in the very first chapter, you see the woman speaking to her lover in the chapter, and she says this to him. She says, Look not upon me because I'm black. Because the sun has darkened me, look not upon me. My mother's children, that is my brothers, were angry with me, and they made me be keepers in their vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. She feels unworthy of the eye of his love being upon her, but her lover responds and says he sees something else entirely. He answers and says, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes and go on. And you see, he likes other parts of her body as well. You know, he's pretty excited by what he sees. He thinks he's beautiful. He praises her for his beauty, and it will go on and on throughout the text. What would the allegory be here? It will be this. We, as individuals, were darkened by sin. We had failed to maintain good fruit from the vineyards of our lives, but still Christ saw in us a glory and a beauty that He delighted to bring out from us and He delighted to lay upon us. And He redeemed us to set us forth as something glorious unto Himself and therefore before all of His creation. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 speaks of this. It's an incredible statement. It speaks of the riches of Christ's glorious inheritance in the saints. That means Jesus finds something mesmerizing, something glorious, something wonderful in the spiritual bride that He's redeemed. He's captivated in this sense by us. He redeemed us to set forward this glory, not only to Himself, but the world around. That a man should find his wife beautiful is not hard to believe he should, that Christ found us so is hard to believe. But he did and he does. And now he says to husbands, live to see and to guard and to protect and to preserve the beauty of your wife. He's not merely talking about our physical outward beauty. He's talking about all her underlying attributes and abilities and attitudes. 1 Peter 3.4 speaks of the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Husbands, 
You're to learn to identify what makes your wife shine and you're to live to draw that out into the light. Christ not only presented the church to Himself, but in redeeming it, He's exalted the church in such a way that she can be seen as glorious throughout the ages. Ephesians 3, verses 10 through 11 says this, His intent was that now through the church that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus. In other words, Christ has redeemed us and in order to put us forth before the powers of this age so that we might be on display as an expression of a glorious thing. Husbands, we want our wives to shine as expressions and standards of beauty to all those around. We are to minister to her the grace of our God in a self-sacrificing manner so that she may shine. In India, it's interesting. If you shake most of the men's hands, they're fairly soft. If you shake their wife's hands, they're rough and hard. They are laboring in their husband's vineyards. They're working in their brother's vineyards. Husbands, we're supposed to be laboring in hers. We're supposed to find out what she delights in, what are the things that bring out the best in her abilities, and we're to give our lives for her benefit and blessing. That's what's being said here. What's the expression in the wife? Well, she's to live to make her husband great. The wife is to see greatness in her man and to live to make him great. And I'll tell you this, few men will realize greatness in the world in which they live except at first that greatness is recognized and honored in their own homes by their own wives. Proverbs 31 tells of a godly woman. It says all the wonderful things she does, but one of the phrases is that her husband is respected in the city gates. Wives, it should be your desire to promote the ascension of your husband into places of honor and greatness. Not as a self-ambition, not as an element of pride by association, but as a humble expression of your love for him. You know, it's really easy to despise some men. You meet them and you find they're petty and they're annoying. You don't think highly of them. And then you find a woman who loves him, who cares for him, who believes in him, and in her love, he rises in stature in your own eyes. That's the way men should rise. We should rise by having a woman who loves us and believes in us. Let your man rise in stature by your respect and honor. If his ambitions are weak or misdirected, point him to the greater ambitions of doing great things for God and for his glory alone. Send him out on the front lines of service for our king and tell him often what God is doing through him, what God can do through him, what God would do through him, and root him on. There is no mystery that the church should submit to Christ in reverence. He is deserving in every way. Men, if you know yourselves, we are not deserving of such honor from our wives. And yet, as the church gives it to Christ, so wife, give it to your husband. Trust him for the best, and your trust alone will lift him up before the eyes of people and even lift him up in his own eyes to see greater callings for his life and for the life of his family. That's the expression of living together, submitting yourselves to one another so that the unity in Christ might be glorified in a marriage. Here's the atmosphere that creates. Third, the environment created by such expressions are these. It will be a joint humility where each submits to one another in love. It will be the experience of each bowing while the other is bowing. 
each kneeling to serve the other while the other is kneeling to serve the other. There will be moments of laughter as you bump your heads together as you're going down to serve one another instead of brushing up against one another as you're both trying to climb over one another to transcendence. What a better life! Instead of the clawing and scratching to get your will, knocking some heads because you both bowed at the same time. (laughs) That's a good life. That's the Christian marriage. Submitting to one another in love. Here's the next one. There will be, as a result, a joyful spirit of thanksgiving. God, thank you for this life, this home. Laughter will fill your house. I have to tell you that the most enjoyable thing in my marriage, in my life, when I walk from my office to my house to go in through the door after working, is that 85% of the time, I walk into a house filled with laughter. Thanksgiving. Here's another atmosphere that comes over your home. God begins to score your life with music. You begin to sing to one another. You come up with songs for your wife and she comes up with songs for you. It's in your heart at least. You ought to try singing them periodically. My dad did. I think the song he liked the most was, Hey, did you happen to see the most beautiful girl in the world? And if you did, would you tell her that I love her? You begin to sing songs to one another. The Bible says to do that. Sing songs to one another. And you begin to sing songs to God, making melody in your heart to God. It will be a home with music in it. Now, how is that going to be pulled off? I mean, how are you going to have that kind of house, that kind of home? Actually, folks, an honest look into most marriages, that is not a description of most marriages. Well, you're never going to be able to do it unless Christ fills you with His Holy Spirit. Go back to the text. Don't be drunk with wine where is an excess. Don't allow your life to be controlled by other things and other forces. Be utterly and completely controlled and yielded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the filling of His Spirit. When He fills you, when He controls you, when He dictates the direction of your life, all then... It's easy to lift up what's best in your wife. It's easy for her to find something to honor in your life. You find yourselves gladly submitting to one another in life. He makes music in your family. Christ is glorified. His church, the miracle of the unity He creates within it is made known. And you live for the greatness of His kingdom, shining forth the beauty of Jesus Christ, and the beauty of his church expressing himself as the hope of glory, being filled with his spirit. Let's start there. Let's end there as well. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Heavenly Father, husbands and wives, wherever they are, young men, young women, everyone here, regardless of their marital status, help us to go back and retrieve and utter surrender to you our calling and our purpose. So submit and surrender our lives to you individually. And then, O oh God, weave a wonderful unity with us within members of the church and with our spouses, with our brides, with our grooms. Bind us to one another. And should they not be willing, O God, to grab hold of the expression you've called them to, help us to take less notice 
because we still bow, we still do it as unto Christ, as Christ, by the filling of your Holy Spirit, sanctifying that place by our surrender and service, establishing still a witness that will go out from our home to the world and the witness that would be well established to our own children. The thought, Lord, that you are a God of a thousand attributes and I know I love you and yet I cannot number them well. I cannot tell you sufficiently or recount your attributes as I should. I fall short in the articulation of these things. Knowing that I love my wife and yet if someone were to ask me what I love in her, I wouldn't know where to begin and what to say, and I struggle to find the words. God, may we become more attentive to the glory that is in you and the beauty in our spouses that you have wonderfully and graciously given to us. And, oh God, be glorified through our marriages so that people may see the mystery of Christ in us his unifying power. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. If you'd like a copy of this broadcast, call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.